0: Holy Spirit, Lord, for the, the Christmas season, for the Advent season. Lord, we ask by, by your word and by your Holy Spirit that you would continue to lead us and guide us into truth. Lord, and that the result of this is that you would be glorified and, uh, and that your church would continue to expand and grow. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Uh, on Thursday, um, last week. Uh, or I guess two weeks ago, uh, we received word that my uncle had passed away. So this, he had married my my dad's sister, and so this week we ran out to Denver to to deal with you know just a few matters regarding the body and the house and that kind of thing. So we were in Denver from from Monday to Wednesday dealing with that, and then on Thursday we had the memorial service for Lee Jost, and so my mind has had a lot of thoughts this week on. How do, we, how do we live our life, um, how our life ends, uh, preparing for, for how, you know, who we leave behind, uh, even, even preparing a state for uh, those that we leave behind, uh, which incidentally, Garvey Schmidt's going to be here uh, in January from MB Foundation to actually talk about some of those matters, so you can be prepared for that. Um, but, you know, what are what are the things that that matter? How does how does one live their life in such a way that when they pass through that very thin veil from this life to the next, that they are received with with the words, well done, good and faithful servant? Like I more and more, I can think no of no greater measurement for success than to be received with with that reception, with those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Like, if if you want to know if life has been successful, that's it. Um, This year, we've been in a a sermon series where we've been uh, walking through the gospel of Luke. And we just started at the beginning. We've just been working through Luke as as far as we could get. And now for Christmas, we've kind of circled back to the very beginning. And now we're doing an Advent series based on what Luke tells us. About Jesus and the birth of Jesus and that kind of thing, and actually the birth of Jesus is really only told in Matthew and Luke. The others just kind of skip it and jump right into his ministry but so we 've been we 've been looking at luke and i don 't know if you caught this or not, but you know when it comes to the advent candles there 's a lot of tradition around which, what they each stand for right love, joy, peace, or shepherd 's candles or prophecy candles, or that kind of thing um, and in the tradition there 's no candle of trust, <laughs> but as i 've been Studying the section on Mary and looking at Mary and and researching that and praying about the thing that has just time and time again that i 'm amazed by is how Mary responded with trust, so I tweak the advent candles because whatever we can and we can do that kind of thing so um, this year, for our advent candles we 've got an advent candle of trust. the angel Gabriel shows up and gives Mary. And and, I mean, we're going to unpack it here in just a minute, but just the, just this news. And I mean, the, the, the ramifications, I mean, not just for her life, but for her nation and for her country and really for all of humanity. And she responds with, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Like, I think you would be hard-pressed to find greater words of trust. I, I mean, like, it's just remarkable. Let me read this section to you, and then we're going to unpack it and, and just and unpack really trusting in the Lord and, and what that looks like. Um, I'm in Luke. I'm in chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 26 and, and go to 38. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, Um, Mary was uh, presumably, uh, uh, you know, a young girl engaged to Joseph. Um, throughout Scripture, we get two family lineages. Uh, we think one of them was actually for Mary. Um, we know that uh, Mary sang this uh, a beautiful song that, that we now call uh, the Magnificat, or Mary's Magnificent. She was present with Jesus at his first miracle. Actually, the first miracle was her idea. Um, kind of depending on, on how you read it. Uh, she traveled with Jesus during his ministry. She was present at his crucifixion. Um, she was with the apostles after the resurrection. Um, and we just have one story of Jesus growing up where Mary lost the Christ child for like three days. So if you ever have some mom guilt, there's that to compare to. So, um, you know, that's, hopefully they can joke about it now, but, uh, but they probably didn't for a while. Mary was very involved in the life of Jesus, really throughout um, all of his life and and all of his ministry, and and the the thing, one of the things I've just been fascinated about, and and I I mean I won't know until maybe someday I get to ask her all these things, but what was going through Mary's mind when Gabriel shared all these things with her, um, and how. I'm not quite, I don't have exactly the best words for it, but, like, like, how fast did Mary's mind work on unpacking some of this information, right? Like, how far into the future um, did her mind wander? Because I've met some people, right? Like, you tell them something, and they're just immediately, like, nine months down the road, you know, like, unpacking, like, what all this might mean and that kind of thing. And just how, like... And even how long was the conversation? Like is this, a, do we have kind of verbatim conversation? Or was this a little bit longer and we got the, the condensed version? Um, but how much time did Mary have to ponder all the ways that this could go good or all the ways that, that this could go bad? Because it, it feeds into that thing that I'm just so amazed with is her trust. Her trust in the Lord and her just willingness to go for it and be so receptive of all this. When Gabriel, I mean, so just unpack some of this here with me. When Gabriel speaks to Mary, alright, Mary is, in, is engaged, um, she's not married, so in Jewish tradition, you know, once you're engaged, you're, you're pretty well married, even though you haven't actually gone through the marriage ceremony, and to get out of the engagement, I mean like nowadays you can just send a text, but for them, like to get out of the engagement ceremony, like you literally had to go through the divorce process, which is why you, you read later on about Joseph talking about um, divorcing her, right? So, Um, so she's just been told that she's going to be pregnant. One, did she think that this was going to happen later on? Or did she just think that, well, maybe if I get married in time, no one will notice, right? Like, or did she realize that the whole community is going to think that she's been immoral? Because honestly, no, like no one's going to believe the angel story, right? Like, (laughs) like, I don't know if she realized that no one's going to believe the angel story in that context, in that setting, in that culture, how much would it ruin a woman's reputation to get pregnant before marriage? It's interesting. So in John 8, verse 39 and 41, the Pharisees are mad at Jesus. And they try to take a dig at Jesus. And and they make this comment. First they say, well, Abraham is our father. And then they make this comment to Jesus. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. And we don't know exactly, but there's a pretty strong belief that that the Pharisees were taking a jab at Jesus by talking about Mary getting pregnant outside of wedlock. And that, like, like, like this was known or whispered about, right? Like Mary had history. And so even the Pharisees knew about this. Or I don't know, maybe it was common knowledge, I'm not sure. But they're taking a jab at Jesus by taking a jab at his mom. And as you guys are well aware... You know, small communities, farm communities, we have a long memory. And it can take a long time to get over that one event or that one reputation to to rebuild that from something that happened a long time ago. Didn't Mary think that far into the future in, in this brief conversation with, with Gabriel? The other thing, too, that, that I find fascinating, Luke leaves this out, but Matthew tells us this. That, so Matthew tells us that Mary was found to be pregnant. And then so Joseph resolved to divorce her quietly. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say like Mary called up Joseph and tried to explain all of this to him. T- to me, it reads like Mary tried to hide it, decided not to tell anyone. I mean, she told Elizabeth. I mean, they, th- she knew about it. But to me, it reads like Joseph heard from other channels. Joseph did not hear this directly from Mary, which is not a great way to build trust in the beginning of your relationship. And I don't want to belabor this too much, but just back to my my main question, to what extent did Mary think through all the ways that this this could go bad for her, that, that this did go bad for her? Because it makes that act of trust so remarkable. Now, there are some pretty big rewards too. I mean, the angel told her some stuff that, I mean, you you can't even just begin to unpack all this in a moment. The angel tells her he will be great. He will be called son of the Most High. He will sit on the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Like each one of those is like a half hour conversation minimum. Right? So some pretty big promises as well. But even with all those positives... It's still risky to accept what Gabriel is telling her. It is her trust that stands out to me more than anything this year. And, and that I, I think we can use as an example for our own lives. A few thoughts on trust. And, and all of these you can find in scripture. Um, trusting in the Lord. Chad, you can go ahead and, and play that clip. I asked. Ch- this is. I just found this on YouTube. There's not going to be any sound. I'm just going to explain this real big, uh, real quick. Uh, when I was at college, I worked at a Boy Scout camp called Philmont. Right. A little bit of context. Philmont is 213 square miles, 20,000 campers in a summer. Right. I worked. It's a backpacking camp for the Boy Scouts. And so every day for the meal, this is what you do. You gather around the bell. Four rangers crawl up there. One of them tells some ridiculous story about whatever. Um, and then they work into this song. It's really kind of more of a chant about, I want to go back to Philmont where the old rayado flows and all of this other kind of stuff. And so I, you can see a, a transition. I'm not sure. Yeah, see, now they all start singing. You can tell that even with the face masks like everyone is chanting along and doing that thing. And then they do this trust fall where they just, um, just kind of keep going. And you can see that they're all set up. And I don't know how many decades that, that they've been doing this for. And so this is how they do it. Okay, you didn't stop the video, thanks. Um, here's the thing with trust falls, and I don't know, maybe you've done some of these or remember doing, doing some of these. On a trust fall, you have to fully commit. Like, fully commit. Because what, if you don't fully commit, what happens is, so when you're looking from the side, you're like this, okay? And the way that you do it is you cross your arm and arch your back and really kind of lead with your head. If people don't commit, here's what they do is that they, they pull down into a protective position like this, and, when they, and they create a wedge or a spike. And when they go down like this, and then they fall, their hips go first, and rather than falling flat, they fall like a wedge, and they pierce, or they break through the catching, and they'll fall to the ground. Like, they, they break through, unless you've got a couple really strong boys, you know, like, they're there to catch you. You go through. So if you're going to do a trust fall... You 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 have to to fully commit to it. The safest way is you cross your arms, you arch your back, and really you lead with your head, and you commit to it, and you just go. Revelation three sixteen, I know your works; they are neither cold nor hot. Would that you are either cold or hot! So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Cold water is useful. Hot water is useful. Lukewarm water is just annoying and useful for nothing. The point is that when it comes to trust, when it comes to trust in the Lord, you got to commit. There, there, like, there's no, there's no halfway on this. And if you try to, like, hedge your bets and just be like, well, I'm just going to parcel commit, like, it's not going to work for you. If you do this, you commit, and it's, it's, it's all in. Here's the other thing, and, and you can see it with this as well, too. Trust actually gets easier with practice, right? So the first time I did a trust fall, you know, it's kind of scary, right? Now they don't bother me at all. Like, not like, come up here, I will fall off this podium, like, no big deal, okay? Like, it's just, it's not even a thing. Trusting in the Lord. Experiencing his reliability, let it build your faith let it build your trust in future endeavors the more you do it the easier it becomes and the easier it is to say yes to bigger and bigger items when jesus trained the 12 disciples the 12 apostles in luke 9 he sends them out on what I would call a short-term missions trip. He sends them out two by two ahead of them, and he gives them this instructions, take no money bag and no tunic and no whatever else and, and that kind of thing. Later on at the Last Supper, Jesus directly contradicts that experience and directly contradicts those instructions and said, I said that, but now I'm telling you this. So in Luke twenty two thirty five, 35, he said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, Nothing. He said to them, But now, let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. Why the different commands? Because in their training, they needed to learn trust and dependence and faith in the Holy Spirit and learn that God would provide for them. And so he puts them in a training environment where they're forced to learn that. Now that they have learned it, they can graduate to bigger responsibilities. Trust will get easier the more you experience it. But it does require you to step into it. Bit by bit, step by step. And the more you trust, the more he's able to entrust to you bigger and bigger responsibilities. Trust gets easier with practice. The next idea, um, you know, which I've I've been so curious as to what went through Mary's mind. But the higher the risk, the deeper the trust has to be. Right? Like if if your friend comes to you and says, like, hey, can I borrow five bucks? I'll pay you back tomorrow. You know, you're probably okay, whatever. But if your friend is like, hey, can I borrow $100,000? I have a great investment idea. It's like, "Mm, let's slow it down. Right? Like they're they're just, they're two totally separate categories, right? If the failure doesn't cost me anything, it's no big deal. If the failure costs me dearly, then it becomes a very big deal. Judges 7. Gideon is taking the Israelites to war. God has called them to this. They have like thousands of men. God says it's still too many. He whittles them down, he whittles it down, he whittles it down until he's down to 300 men and then with those they go into battle high risk high high risk requiring deep deep trust and then what happens judges 7 verse 7 the lord said to gideon with the 300 men i will save you i will give the midianites into your hands and let all others uh, let all the other men go home and they win because of God. The higher the risk, the deeper the, the trust has to be. Next idea around trust. Particularly when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. Do you trust that the other person honestly has your best intentions in mind? Uh, Proverbs 27.6 has a great w- verse on this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. A true friend can hurt you, but it is a blessing because they did it for your benefit. A true friend is willing to hurt you in the short run so as to love you in the long term. A true friend will hurt you short term so they can love you long term, right? Do you trust God in the same way? I haven't heard it as much lately. Um, back when I was recruiting for missions um, and working with Trek, you know, every so often you'd hear someone say just something profoundly stupid, um, and it was normally some version of like, "Oh yeah, I'm all in. It. I'd love to do this. You know, I just and I'm willing to do anything, just so long as like God doesn't send me to Africa or something." And I don't know why people always picked on Africa, but they always picked on Africa, right? I would have gone Australia just because of all the snakes and spiders, but they they would pick Africa. For starters, you would be lucky to go to Africa, so you really don't know what you're talking about. But, but what they were often trying to say is that I'm worried God is going to send me somewhere I hate. I, I'm worried that, that God is going to ask me to do something really, really hard. And, and I'm worried that if I fully trust and fully surrender, God is going to cause me pain. And I kind of get it. They're based on some stories. If you, if you just heard part of the story, you could come to that conclusion. But let me also be very honest with you. Those kind of in- statements actually show spiritual immaturity and that you do not understand the heart of God. You do not understand the heart of God. Um, I have never... Never met, heard a story where a person goes, you know, I'm really good at this and I have a deep love for this, but I fully surrendered to to Jesus and now he has me doing the complete opposite and following his call has been nothing but misery. I have never heard that storyline. Ever. I've never read it, heard it, nothing. How God made you is tied to his calling on your life. The, like, the two are linked. Fantastic book on this is The Call by, by Oz Guinness. He really, if you want to go into a deep dive on this, it, it's an excellent read. And, and in that, he, he goes through and he unpacks, you know, like, there, there are some aspects of call that are just standard issue for all Christians. Love Jesus, make disciples, read your Bible, grow in faith and mercy, and these other kinds of things, Right? Standard issue call for everyone. Then scripture has some more specific ones. Here's a little bit of a call for moms and dads and for employers and employees and for kids and church leadership and that kind of thing. And so you get some more specific instructions. In some cases, not all, but in some cases, there are scenarios where God will give a specific call to an individual for like a career, even a certain job, right? And so, like, Saul is a great example of that in the New Testament where he's very distinctly called. And we could, and The the drama of his call is not related to how awesome Saul was, but more the fact that he was just being stubborn and ignorant, and so God had to kind of get dramatic with him. Um, But do you trust that God is going to work in accordance with how he made you? He wants you to do the thing that he made you to do and the thing that he has equipped you to do, and overall... You will love it, and that will bring God joy. Like, do you understand that? Do you trust that God has intertwined how he made you and, how he has, and what he is calling you to? Because if God has called, you know, prepared in advance good works for you to do, it kind of makes sense that he would, you know, prepare you to do those things. You know what Mary was called to, just based on what we have here? Mary was called to being a really good mom. Like, despite that time, she lost him for the three days. But whatever, we can overlook that. One of Mary's greatest callings was just to be a really good mom. And we know that because, like, that, like, that's what the angel told her. That was her unique calling. And I love that she responded with, I'm here for it, let's do it. Everything that you have said to me Let's do it. Now, all that said, trust in God still involves hard things. Following Jesus involves hard things. Yes. You know what else is kind of hard? Life. You, you, you know what, what involves really, really hard things? Not following Jesus. Indulging in a life of sin that leaves you empty and frustrated and lonely. Leaves you with a deep sense of meaningless. Easy happens in heaven. Until then, there's hard, right? Like, that's just standard issue, okay? Lee now gets it easy. For the rest of us, we still have work to do. There was, um, I was at an event, and there was a missionary couple, and they, um, f- amazing story they were sharing, They're working with uh, the Uyghur people in, in, uh, in western China, and, um, but they were talking about, like, just some of the difficulties they've had to go through, and all this other stuff, and they were, and they were unpacking it, and, and, um, and it was almost kind of starting to get heavy, but I, I had heard of enough of these stories that, that, anyway, so, um, but, so they were talking about just all the difficult stuff, and things that they've had to surrender, and lay down, and all this other kind of thing. And uh, so at the end, you know, we're kind of in this group setting, and I, and, and I raised my hand. I said, okay, but do you regret it? Like, I mean, it sounds pretty miserable. Like, do you regret it? Absolutely not. Completely love it. Wouldn't trade it for anything. Right? But hard just kind of happens. I lived in Abbotsford for 10 years. How was it? Fantastic. Was there hard stuff? Yes. Been in Henderson for almost 10 years. How's this been? Wonderful. Love it. Has there been hard stuff? Sure. You know what would have been worse is just doing my own thing and not following God's leading and all of that. Hebrews 11. I love Hebrews 11. So Hebrews 11 is kind of this this chapter of like all these all stars out of the Old Testament. And almost each paragraph starts with naming an individual. You know, it's by faith. So-and-so did this, right? And that's like a one-sentence summary, like the highlight reel, right? So just like all of Hebrews 11 has all this stuff. But then in the very middle, it has this, these couple verses that I think really kind of un- unpack the heart for all these people. But at one point it says this, These all died in faith, having not received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. And then there's another line, and therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. Which, whew, we could work on that one for a while. Trust in God still involves hard things, but not near as hard as a life without God. Um, Yeah, we got time couple other thoughts Lee has been in heaven a little over a week now and as much as he is loving it I sometimes wonder if in those situations you know he's ever reflected on his time on earth and said oh, I wish I had trusted God a little bit more and, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to pick on Lee, Lee led an absolutely remarkable life but I, I have this theory that all of us, when we are able to look back on our life with true and perfect clarity, that at s- there will be certain parts where we just say, you know, there are a few things I wish I'd done differently. And if there's ever the question of, I wish I had trusted just a little bit more. When Mary first heard the news from the angel, I do not know which direction her mind went. I mean, she made one comment that was very practical, and she's like, I'm a virgin. How, how are we going to do this? I don't know if, if her mar- if her mind went to the difficulties. I don't know if, if her mind went went j- just to, to some of the, the, the good stuff that, that would have happened. But what an absolutely monumental act of trust to respond with As you have said, may it be so. Let's do this. Mary And Mary had it hard. I mean, even Simeon comes up and prophesies over her at the very beginning, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This woman had to watch her son be crucified, right? Like no parent should watch, should outlive their child, let alone watch their child be crucified. And yet, like no one knew Jesus like his own mom like no like i don't want to run too far with that right but just <laughs> no one knew jesus like his own mom and what a blessing like in that alone do you trust god do i trust jesus everything begins with that question actually that's the starting point for all of this do i trust jesus do i trust what he said do, do i trust what what he did everything about our relationship with God starts with that question do I trust Jesus from there there are other questions will I surrender the sin and trust that life without the sin is better because scripture told me so do I trust the calling on my life trusting that God knows best and one of my one of my favorite quotes um, we had a, a kid do uh, uh, go on missions, and he came back, and he had, he had this great line, because wh- you're supposed to kind of like summarize it, what you learned, and he had the line, he goes, you know what, I gave up my, my dreams to go on missions, but on missions, I discovered my true dreams, and if I could unpack that just a little bit, I think, I mean, that was in the context of mission, but I think you can apply that more broadly, where he was saying, I thought I was giving up my, dr- my dreams to really kind of focus in on my life with the Lord, but... In focusing in on my life with the Lord, there I actually discovered my true dreams. What a a remarkable statement. On the joy and the fulfillment that comes from trusting in the Lord completely. Will you obey the calling on your life? Children, will you obey your parents, trusting that they know more than you, but that they still want good things for you, just in the way that parents are called to trust in the Lord and that he um, has good things for us. Mary gave us a remarkable example to follow, a life marked by trust that all began with this phrase, or that, that we read in this phrase, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I love this story of trust and, um, and Mary's example of it. And Lord, we look forward to, to someday asking her a lot more questions about all of this. Until that time, Lord, I pray for all of us here that we would fully commit to a life of trust in you. No hesitation, no holding back, full commitment. We trust in you, Lord. And whatever that means, God, we trust that, that how you have made us is tied with your call on our life. And that there's meaning and purpose and fulfillment in that. And even when there's hard stuff, like that's just, may that, may that not shake or rattle our trust. That's just part of life on earth. Easy happens in heaven. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this community Again, we thank you for your word and your Holy Spirit that you would be glorified. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week.